Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice and for your blood. Lord, that washes us clean from all sin, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are our advocate. And Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us, Lord. And Lord, you have taken so much attention to detail, Lord, to preserve this word, Lord, that we have in our hands. And Lord, as we get into the scriptures together, Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you, Lord, for calling us as a body. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom to gather here and assemble tonight. And the freedom, Lord, to read your word, Lord, openly, God. And Lord, we don't take it for granted, Lord, where some of our brothers and sisters abroad have to do this undercover. Lord, be with them, God, tonight. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon them with great anointing and power, God. And Lord, let that same anointing flow into this place as we teach and preach your word in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. 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 All right, so we left off in, with verse 3 last week. And um, just a quick review. We learned last week, we studied... Uh, in pretty de in good detail, uh, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, known as in most commentators will call that Daniel's 70th week, um, or the Daniel 70 weeks. And we saw that he, the angel told Daniel that the, this time frame was for your people. All right? And there was a clear distinction there that that was for Daniel's people. And we know Daniel's people was who? Was the Jews. I'm sorry, what? Were you just amen in me? Amen in my amen. All right. Praise God. So we saw that it was for the Jews. So Daniel's 70th weeks were determined. And the 70th week, which is that last seven years that most people call the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble, what the book of Revelation is about, we saw that that is for the Hebrews, okay? And so there's a clear distinction there. And, you know, when you read, there's a lot of opinion out there today. There always has been opinion, but we, it seems like now with modern-day technology, with YouTube and Facebook, we get a lot more access to man's opinions than we used to have, amen? And uh, there is such an abundance of man's opinions and ideas of what they think. Now, when you rightly divide the word of God, like Paul exhorts Timothy to do, the biggest area that most men and women miss it when it comes to eschatology or the teaching of last things is the misunderstanding of God's plan with Israel. And most of we've heard many times before from me that the church has grossly erred when it comes to Israel, especially in the time of the Reformation, where people would think that God was done with Israel, that he was no longer um, going to continue his covenants that he made with David, that somebody from his family was going to sit on a physical throne. And they replaced that promise with the church that Israel was replaced by the church, which is known as replacement theology. And that is completely wrong in the scripture. Amen. And another place where people always get it wrong when it comes to revelation or the study of the last days 
is they tried to put the church in the book of Revelation when it was not for the church. It was for the last seven years that God is going to reconcile the Hebrews with his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what it's called, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's exactly what the book is about. So that's why it always gets a little confusing and a little bit misinterpreted. You've got to understand God's plan for Israel. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He said, I would not have you ignorant in this, brethren, that God has not forsaken the house of Israel. He is not. He's not forsaken it. And when you think about the difference between the Israel, Israel and the church or the time of the Gentiles or the fullness of the Gentiles is what it's properly called. How many chess players do we have in here? Anybody? So you guys know what a chess clock is, don't you? A chess clock is a, is a clock with two, two clocks on it. And when one player is going to make his move or it's his turn, his opponent hits his clock, and it starts the clock on the opposing player. And when he makes his move, he presses his button, and it starts his clock. Well, you could look at the Jews and the Gentiles as two clocks. When Jesus dealt with Israel all through history, the Jewish time clock is running. But when Jesus came and they said, we have no other king but Caesar, Romans tells us that darkness fell on their eyes, or their eyes, scales had fallen on their eyes, right? And from that point on, the Jews' clock stopped, and the Gentile clock and the time of the church started running. When Paul taught us in Thessalonians that Jesus will come in the clouds and gather us together with him, at that point, the Gentile clock or the time of the church stops, and the Jewish clock starts, all right? And that's how it works. And so, you know, the, and so like I say, the misconception is, is not having a good understanding of what is Jewish in the scripture and what is church and Gentile in the scripture. And that's why Paul admonishes us to rightly divide the word. Amen. Rightly divide it. Praise God. All right. So and that's what we talked a little bit about last last week. If you weren't here, you can get it on podcast the podcast. Um, and uh, look that up. If you don't know how to get that, see me after class. Praise the Lord. So here we are in chapter 4 now. Chapter 5, sorry, verse 4. And he says, Now, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are the children of light and the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So what is he referencing there? He's referencing what we read last week in verse 2, or starting at verse 1, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you've no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. But then he says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, so day of the Lord. Remember, there's a clear distinction between the day of the Lord, which is God coming in judgment, the day of Christ when God comes for his church. Amen. Now he's saying here, you are in the light. 
the day of the Lord will not take you as a thief because why? We will be present with the Lord when he comes to earth. Amen. The church will be present with the Lord on the day of the Lord. So how can that day take us as a thief when we're right next to him? Amen. It's going to take as a thief the earth dwellers who are not expecting his coming. That's who he's talking about here. And that's why he says, we are children of the what? The light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Now look at verse six. So therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch and be sober. Amen. Now, these are very important. These are very important uh, words for the church. Watch and be sober. Jesus was, he was very um, intense that his disciples watch and pray. Amen. Because he says in verse 7, For they that sleep, they sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's a lot of things that happen at nighttime, isn't there? I don't know about you, but when I was in the world, I didn't go to the club in the afternoon. I went to the club at midnight. I went to the club in darkness. A lot of bad things happen at night. A lot of people do wicked things at night and in darkness. People sleep. People get drunk. You know, we've been arguing about whether it's right or wrong for a Christian to consume alcohol for many years. I lived in England. It's a big debate over there. It's becoming a pretty big debate in the Bible Belt now, where it used to not be. You always had West Coast and East Coast kind of, you know, doing their thing. But when I grew up in church in this area, as a Christian, you did not consume alcohol. That was just the way it was. Amen. And, but the, the scripture is very clear on this one thing. It says to be sober. To be sober. We don't need to get into arguments about well, was the wine, that water that Jesus turned into wine, was it fermented wine or was it unfermented wine? You know, that's not... What you're trying to do is you're trying to split hairs because you like alcohol when people talk like that. They want to find a reason to drink because they like to consume booze. But when you are... When your heart and your mind is set on the things of the Lord and the things of the Scripture... You know, you really don't need that. I don't need it. I choose not by the law to abstain from alcohol. I choose as a devotion to Christ to abstain from alcohol. I don't think alcohol is good for the church to consume if you've got a person that came from alcoholic background and you're trying to minister or witness to a brother. And, you know... How, how would that be on the brother if, you, if he came into a barbecue at, the, at one of the local church barbecues 
And there was guys drinking six packs there, but yet he's, he's having a problem with alcohol. You know what Paul teaches about that? All you guys that think that it is okay to drink a six pack at a church barbecue, he said, for the weaker vessel, you should get rid of your six pack of beer. It's not about whether you have a problem or not. If you don't have a problem and you say you don't have a problem, then you wouldn't have a problem putting it away for the love of this weaker man over here. And that is New Testament Christianity when it comes to alcohol. And what I find now is, is I go to barbecues where Christians are drinking and they try to make a statement that it's okay for me to drink. And they know that I don't drink. Hey, when I was in the Navy, I had an alcohol problem. I had an alcohol problem. I don't want to drink anymore. I don't like what it made me. And so when I come into fellowship with my brothers and sisters at a church barbecue, they know I don't drink. And if they had one ounce of real Holy Ghost love in them, they'd say, you know what? I'll take a Coca-Cola, man. And they should put their alcohol away for the sake of the weaker vessel. Now that is Bible. That is in Corinthians, and that's what Paul talked about. And it doesn't go even go. It has to do with alcohol, food and drink, all the things that Christians want to argue about. He settles it right there with that motive. Now, I don't know why I got off on that, but maybe someone needed to hear that tonight. Um, I don't have it in my notes. I have it in my mind, but I will get it to you later if you see me afterwards. OK, where he teaches that it's first Corinthians chapter seven, somewhere around in there, I'm thinking. So that's my little uh, soapbox about being sober. Amen. Now, look at, um, made a couple notes here about watch and pray. Let's go over to Matthew 26. And don't even get me started on cannabis. <laughs> Sheesh. All right, so where are we at? Matthew 26. No, that's what I say. 26, is it 26? I think I meant 25, sorry. Um... I am, honey. Or am I in the wrong chapter? 26, verse All right, there's where we want to be. 26, 36. Thank you. All right, look at this. All right, verse 20, verse 36 of Matthew 26. Chapter 26, verse 36. Now comes Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane. And he said unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And so then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, John and James, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to his disciples and he found them asleep. And he said unto Peter, what 
Could you not watch with me but one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many know that? We learned about that in Romans chapter seven. Amen. Mark in this Mark in the parallel of this story in Mark's gospel, he says the spirit is ready. And when I see that the spirit is ready, everything in the in our spirit is all the access and the power that we need is there. It just needs to be activated. The spirit is ready. But the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How do you activate this? How do you overcome the weakness of the flesh? What Jesus tell him to do? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. That's how you get. That's how you win the battle between spirit and flesh. Watch and pray. Look what he says and go over to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, very famous uh, portion of scripture on the armor of God. I don't think is there anybody in this building that has not heard a sermon on the armor of God. Probably one of the most talked about passages in the New Testament as far as, you know, warfare and and how to live a victorious Christian life. Now, in Ephesians chapter six, verse 16, say amen if you're there. Now, look this above all, take the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for who? All saints. What did Jesus say? Sit here, watch and pray. Pray for who? Pray for Jesus. You know, the key to real intercession and supplication that is in your, the power that's in your life is not to pray for your needs, but for you to pray for my needs and me to pray for your needs. I don't know about you, but the most powerful times of intercession and prayer that I've ever had is when I am praying for you guys or when I'm praying for our missionaries on our little prayer list. And, and what's he say? He says, pray in the spirit. So what you do is you get that list, right? Or you get that name, a name that pops in your head of somebody in the church. You write it on a piece of paper. And then you pray in the Holy Ghost. You pray in the spirit. And then all of a sudden you feel charged in the, in the Lord. You feel, you feel like, this is not me anymore, praise God. You know what I mean? When the Holy Ghost, you, you start off like, okay, I'm doing it, but all of a sudden it, it kicks in, doesn't it? The power kicks in. And when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, the Lord will begin to give you words of knowledge for things to pray about for that individual. And your mind will say, oh, I'm just thinking that. You keep praying in the Holy Ghost. 
And then what you do is you speak that out in English, what the Lord showed you in the Holy Ghost. And that's what you begin to pray. And that's what you begin to take those petitions up to the Lord as he's giving you these whatever they may be, you know, a particular situation. And they'll, he'll tell you some real matter-of-fact stuff. I'm telling you. How many know this works, what I'm talking about? Amen. If you've experienced this before. This is the power of prayer. It's not about, oh, Lord, my, my car broke down. I need to get it fixed. Or, oh, you know, help me, Lord, make the, the payment or help me do this. <coughs> Excuse me. You know... I've never felt much power when I'm trying to pray for my own personal needs, really, to be honest with you. You do it sometimes. You know, the Lord listens, and he, you know, I'm sure He hears. But man, my, the most of my prayer is been energized in the Lord and the Holy Ghost when I'm praying for the saints. Amen. And that's what He's talking about, watch and pray. So watch. What does He say there? The sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. When I was on watch in the Navy and pastor could testify to this, they gave you a weapon. Amen. I've never seen a guard on watch without a weapon. Praise the Lord. You know, he's given us a weapon, the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So watch and pray. Or I like to sometimes say, Jeremy, read and pray. You know, watch with the Word. Pray for the saints. Amen. And if you do that... You will be in touch with heaven and you will be in touch with the master's plan for your life and for your local church's life and for the people that God has put in, in your heart. You know, we all have different people that the Lord has laid on our hearts. And this is this is this is the New Testament church in action. Amen. And so what I find is we got a lot of people. They're not watching, praying. They're feasting and playing. They're worried about who the next, what next band is coming through town. What next, you know, event is coming. You know, when are the Cincinnati going to get an NHL hockey team? You know, we're so inundated with sports entertainment. I've had it up to here. Amen. I mean, I love the Reds. I mean, I'm a big Reds fan. I'm a diehard Reds fan. But man, it can't, this thing, this obscenity with the passion for sports that has overtaken the church. We got people that can't even come to church on Super Bowl day. Praise God. I'm sorry, but I've got into preach mode, Pastor, a little bit here tonight. But I mean, I'm just telling you, we need to watch and pray because there were, there's things that we need to do. There are people that need to be saved. Amen. Amen. They need to be saved. And the time is short. Now he says, back to Thessalonians. Verse 8. Let us who are of the day be sober. Yes, I am of the day. I'm going to be sober. I'm not going to... As the NIV says, do not be drunk... In excess, which leads to debauchery. That's a great word. You know what that means? It's a boxer who all of a sudden lets down his guard. That's what debauchery means. It means to the letting down of the guard. And boy, if you've ever seen a boxing match, once them hands come down, 
Lights out. Amen. And hands come down because he gets tired, doesn't he? He just, something is taking away his soberness, causing him to drop the hands. Well, that's what an excess of alcohol does to a person. Now he says, also be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What should be the guard of every one of our minds today? I'm not in panic. I was listening to a guy talk today about how the American uh, stock exchange is going under. That America is so far in debt, we're going to be taken over. That America's going to fall. You know, we're this, the, China's going to take over. They hold all the debt that America has. We're trillions of dollars in debt. You hear this all the time. You know what I do when I hear that? I reach for my helmet. I stick it on and say, you know what? Lord, I'm Christian first, I'm American second, and I know before it gets too bad, adios, amigos, because you have not appointed me unto wrath, amen? But you've appointed me unto what? The hope of salvation. Hey, no, at the end of the day, we are saved, man. We are saved from the wrath to come. And even if we have to endure for a season... Hope maketh not ashamed. He will come. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my house, Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I like how Jesus said that. Hey, I'm not going to try to con you here. If there wasn't a place up there, I'd let you know about it. And how could he let us know about it? Because he came from there. Amen. So he said, if it wasn't so, I would have said something to you. But there is a place up there. With many mansions. And he's taken us there. Amen. Amen. We're going to be with him. So that's the hope of salvation. A hope of the, that's an anchor to the soul, the Bible says. Now for God, he has not appointed us to wrath, verse 9, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether, we're the, whether those that are awake, us today... All of us here who are awake, our relatives who are asleep in the Lord, we're all going to be together with Him. We read about that and learned about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? That's what most of this chapter 4 was about. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. In other words, he's telling the Thessalonians, look, I know you do this, but do it some more. You know... We ought to tell everybody each time we see one another, hey, you know, Jesus Christ is coming and you're saved from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Encourage one another with these words, it says. Encourage. It should be an encouraging word. Amen. Verse 12. Now we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. So be, we beseech you to know them. First of all, know them. That's, that's key. You can go out here today, who's your pastor? Oh, you know, I watch uh, so-and-so on TV. Who's your pastor, man? Know them which labor among you. What does that mean? The person that's laboring right next to you. The persons, you know, you can smell them. <laughs> you know them. You can reach them. 
You bump into them. They're with you. They labor among you, not somewhere in a far gone land. You know, I mean, I'm not I thank God for the television ministries, but I'm telling you what the last time I looked when you were in the hospital, the person that came and visited you was this man, Amen. not the guy on television. Why? Because he labors among you. Amen. And that's what Paul is admonishing the church. Esteem those. First, know them who labor among you. And who's, who's, the, who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the Ephesians gifts. All right? We know apostles. What, pre, who are they? It's gone right out of my head. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Amen? given by Jesus to the church for the edifying of the saints and for the work of the ministry, okay? You know, these are gifts given to us by Jesus, it says. Jesus gave those men to us. So we're to esteem them as a gift by Jesus. Now, that's heavy-duty stuff because I see a lot of times people are treating the gift that came from Jesus like it's a bad birthday pair of socks that you don't want. Or one of those holiday gifts. You ever get one of those gifts from one of your relatives and they were just trying to get you something, but you know, you're never gonna, you're never gonna use it, are you? You know, you don't esteem it. No, he says we're to esteem it. Very highly, praise God, it says. You know, why do we esteem it? Because that's what Jesus gave to us. Amen. So know them. Know who your pastors are. Know your prophets in the church. Know who your evangelists are. Amen. Know who your teachers are. Know who your apostles are. Know them, it says. And then when you know them, esteem them. Praise God. And he says, I admonish you is what he says at the end of verse 12. Esteem them very, very highly in love for their what sake? Work's sake. I don't know a minister worth his salt in the gospel that doesn't wake up and go to sleep with the saints on his mind. And if he doesn't, then he's not a gift from Jesus. He is in it for filthy lucre, the Bible says. He's in it for a career. He's in it for a profession. And we know that during the days of Wesley and Whitfield and those men of fire like Jonathan Edwards, there were men that entered the ministry because in that day it was a profession to go into religious clergymen as it was an accountant or any other type of profession. Amen. And so there are people that go into the ministry because it's just a good job. But those aren't the gifts that Jesus gave. Those are men that Paul said they're after what? Filthy lucre. In other words, they're making, they want to make money. Hey, this ain't my opinion. This is in the, this right here, amen? It's right here. That's what I love about expositional teaching because you hit it all as you go through the scriptures, amen? Now, we exhort you, brethren, and we warn that you warned them that are unruly. 
Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. All right, so first of all, I missed a part there in verse 13. After you know your know those who are over you in the, in the Lord, esteem them highly in love, be at peace among yourselves. And it's interesting, the connection there, because I found that most people who don't know who their pastor is, they don't have peace among themselves. They're always quibbling. Just like Paul said, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Christ. You know, everybody trying to say, oh, I follow this guy, I follow that guy, I follow this guy. You know what Paul said? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Amen. And another way to spot out those that are over you in the Lord, are they following Christ? When you're around them, do you feel like they're pointing you to Christ? Do you feel like they're trying to build an empire around themselves? Praise God. Now I exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That word unruly also means unorganized or people who do not put things in order. All right? Warn them. It's also another word. It, it says that they're not in step with what God is doing in the church. All right? They're unruly. They're unsubmitted. They don't know what authority's about. Amen. Anybody ever grown up having an authority issue? I sure did. Boy, it took me a lot of hard years to actually realize that there were people in charge over me and I needed to do what they said. Amen. I mean, that's just a hard lesson for a young man to learn. I had to learn it the hard way. Yeah. I mean, but boy, when warn them that are unruly, because it's it's a it's a pattern of conduct that will pull you down. And it'll keep you from really being um, a useful vessel for the Lord. Then he also says, comfort them that are feeble-minded. Not people that have a weak mind, but these are like people that are shy. They have, you know they've got the talent. You know they've got the call, they've got the gift. But they're just a little reserved, aren't they? They're kind of weak in mind to the sense that they don't, they're not, don't have a lot of self-confidence. Good word. They don't have a lot of self-confidence. And in in, in who they are in the Lord. What does Paul tell us to do? Slap them around? Call them unwanted? Call them unworthy? Call them unanointed? No, man. The loudest guy in the room is not always the smartest one. Remember that. He said, comfort the feeble-minded. In other words, that word comfort means encourage. You know, Barnabas was an encourager, the Bible says. He was, they loved Barnabas. Barnabas would go around every church he would go and visit with Paul. He would just go and he would encourage the brethren or who they are and what they can do. And, you know, you can do this, man. You know, you know anybody like that in your life? An encourager? All right. Also here it says support the weak. All right. Support the weak. In other words, those that are sick, those that need help, those that can't do it on their own. We're to support those people. Widows in the church that don't have family. We're to support them. Praise God. Amen. The Bible teaches us to do that. So we support the weak. So we've got three classes of people there. The unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak. We're to warn some. Comfort those and support the weak. But in all things, it says here, be patient toward all of them or all men. All right. 
So whatever category you're working with, we need to exercise patience. Amen. We need to not, you know, and that when I read that, I'm a guy that needs that when I'm dealing with people's issues. I know I, I lack patience in this area and I pray for it because, you know, some people I, you, you know, there's some people you feel like you're pretty good with, but then there's some people you just, when they come in, you run away, don't you? No, you don't do that. Or you grab your phone and act like you're receiving a text message. Verse 15. Now look here. See that none render evil for evil unto man, any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Now, a person that has a, a revengeful spirit about them, that's, you know, when you hear Christians always talking about wanting to go to court over issues or trying to sue somebody for this or trying to, you know, something's not right there. OK, something's not right there because, you know, the heart of where I remember a testimony by Keith Green, one of my favorite uh, favorite guys in the Lord. He said uh, when he used to take people in off the streets and take them into their homes, he said, he said, man, aren't you worried about being used? He said, man, what's a Christian for? What's a Christian for? I mean, the Bible says that Jesus counted it not robbery, that he put off his glory and humbled himself as a man. You talk about a guy getting a raw deal. He didn't get a raw deal. He didn't look at it as he was getting a raw deal, did he? And that should be the heart of, a, of, of our attitude when we deal with men. We shouldn't always be trying to protect our own. And Jesus said, you know, if a guy wants to borrow a coat, let him have the coat. Does he bring it back? Great. If he don't, well, praise God, the Lord will provide. Amen. I mean, that is the attitude we should have. We don't sometimes, though, do we? We fall short in these things. Now, don't be coming up here and asking for my MacBook now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, looky here, he says. Verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture right there because that is the will of God concerning us. You know, we tried to put the will of God into a career path, into a place of geography, but really the will of God is spiritual and it's always been spiritual. If we rejoice evermore and we pray without ceasing and in everything we give thanks, we're going to do okay, aren't we? No matter where we're at. Because once you have those three principles in line, where you live, where you work, what you do, those are really not the central thing, are they? Because it says, in all things give thanks. Give thanks for what? Well, first of all, Lord, thank you that I'm alive. But thank you also that I am saved from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. You know, I've been born twice. I only got to die once, the Bible says. So this is the will of God. You know, people always say, you know, what's God's will for my life? When you hear that, this is a great place to turn them to. Oh, what's God's will for my life? Who does he want me to marry? Where does he want me to go to school? What's God's will for my life? I'll tell you, brother, sister, God's will for your life is that you rejoice forevermore. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
<laughs> God's will for your life is to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying for the saints. God's will for your life is that you give thanks for everything. Amen. That is the will of God. Now, verse 19 says, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. How many times have you heard that in Pentecost? Oh, you're quenching the spirit, brother. You're quenching the spirit. The Bible also says, let all things be done decently in order. Okay? They're, they dovetail together. Amen. You know, and the Bible also says there is a, there's an authority that is put over the church. So don't tell me that if a guy is over there doing this, but the Lord has given this person as a gift to the church as the pastor or the head, and he's not feeling that. You know, I'm trying to tell me that the Lord can't let that person, if he's a Holy Ghost man, feel what needs to be done here. And this guy over here is like saying, yeah, you're quenching the spirit, brother. That's not what he's talking about here. Amen. When the Bible says quench not the spirit. I believe that he's talking about your spirit, the spirit that abides in you. And I particularly have a conviction that this has to do with tongues as well. Guys, tongues <laughs> is one of the most powerful things that God has given to the church. Amen. Hey, tongues doesn't save you. Tongues is not an evidence of salvation. But man, tongues is a powerful, powerful weapon that the Lord has given to the church. And I don't know what it is, but when I came to this America in, in 2010 and I came to an Assembly of God church, man, I thought I'd hear a lot of tongues. I was surprised at how little tongues I heard when I first got here. There wasn't a lot of tongue talking. Not a lot of tongue talking anywhere. It's like people have kind of either gotten embarrassed of it or they maybe moved away from it. Man, I want to be a tongue talking, Bible believing, blood bought, raised from the dead believer. Amen. You know, the power of speaking in tongues is powerful. And it's really gotten a hold of me that day that Pastor Darlene came over and just started speaking in tongues over me for, you know, I don't know, like a half hour. I mean, in the flesh is saying, my God, when's she going to stop? But my spirit man is saying, shut up, Jeremy, you need this in your life. Because the more she spoke in tongues, the deeper the deposit of what God was doing was going in. But what was those tongues doing? Head bypass, straight to the spirit, man. Amen. Head bypass. I heard that's, man, everybody, that's what my dad used to always say in England. God needs to give you a head bypass. God needs to give you a head bypass. Because we're so much trying to figure out the things of the spirit with the natural mind, or worse, the, the carnal mind, and we're not in the spiritual mind, which is down here in the belly. The spiritual mind is down deep here in the belly. Amen. That's that the abode of the spirit is down in the belly. Praise God. And you can always feel it. I can tell when it's bypassing the head and it's coming straight from the belly. Jesus didn't say out of your head shall flow rivers of living water. <laughs> out of your head shall flow rivers. No, he said out of your belly shall flow rivers. Amen. Now, quench not the spirit in your life. Quench not the spirit in your life. Despise not prophesying. Amen. 
but prove all things and hold fast that which is good. This is a good word. You know, we have a prophetic movement in the church today. And, you know, there's some people get critical about it. Some people think they're a bunch of granola bars, fruit and nut, you know, full of flakes. Here's the thing, though. The Bible says despise not prophesying. Don't get an attitude towards the gift. You are to do what? Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. How do you prove? Well, if a guy prophesies something in your life and it doesn't come to pass, well, I guess he missed it. Amen? I guess he missed it. But hold fast to that which is good. There are things that the Lord has spoken over my life in prophecies, crazy prophecies. You know, I remember one time in 1995 sitting at the Victoria Hotel in Bradford, England, and these two guys who I thought in my mind were wackos when they walked into church that morning, and they began to start prophesying over me as they were going out the door after the church. One guy said, here I am, just a, you know, just a young guy, didn't know anything. He said, man... He says, I really see you playing the piano. And in 1995, I didn't even know what a note was. I didn't even know what a note was. I never came from a musical background. As a matter of fact, that what I was doing for the church there in Bradford, I was the accountant. I was doing Rose's job. God, don't let me do that anymore. That's the most anointed office in church. Do you want to know where the... I remember when I worked when I worked for the Good Samaritan Inn, when you wanted to find the peace of the Holy Ghost, the real presence of God, where would you go? You walked to the treasurer's office. That is where the presence of God abides the strongest, let me tell you. I mean, tell you, they, the grace of God, man. But anyway, I digress. What was I talking about? Yeah, so that guy prophesied over me. He said, I see you playing the piano. And I looked at him, I thought, this guy is a, he is a, he's, he's missed it, man. He has missed this completely. And I didn't say anything, but I just thought, dude, I, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what an instrument is, let alone play a piano. To me, in my mind, if you to play a piano, that was like, you know, I could maybe do a little scratch block or some spoons or something. But the piano, that was like advanced, wasn't it? I just dismissed it and moved on. But hey. You just never know, do you? You just never know. And I'll tell you, there's some things that the Lord has spoken over you. There's probably some things that you have in your heart that you want to speak over those that you know, your relatives, your children, grandchildren, particularly. Prophesy as the Spirit moves you. Prophesy, amen. Despise not prophesying. Ooh, I just got that from the Lord. Not only am I to not despise the prophecy that someone may speak over me, despise not the prophecy that will come out of my own mouth. Amen? Despise not prophecy that God wants to release in your life and in my life. Let's not push that down. Let's not quench the spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's let those things come forward. But in all things, prove them. By gosh, yes, we got to prove them. We can't walk around and... You know, just because a guy tells you to sell your house and car and move to North Carolina, you know, and stock up water and pinto beans for the next 10 years. You know, I mean, you, you got to prove these things, man. Amen. 
My God. Now, and hold fast that which is good. Amen? Amen. So those things that are good, hold fast, just like Mary did. When Mary, she got her mind blown by the angel Gabriel. But what did she do? Unlike her uh, uncle, she believed, but she pondered them in her heart. Amen? And when someone speaks a word over you, just ponder it in your heart. Let the Lord deal with it. A guy prophesied to us that we were going to have five boys. Four boys? Four boys. Say so we're going to prophesy and have four boys. We ended up having five girls and two boys. I mean, I did get my boys. Didn't think I was going to get them, but we did get them. But he prophesied over them, and I'm still trying to work that out. And don't think two more are coming. God, don't. <laughs> holy Jesus, holy Jesus. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, we're almost done here. We won't go very long tonight. Now he says, Now the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Now brethren, pray for us and greet all brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren and that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.